Turn back, please, to that passage that we just read from in the Gospel of John and chapter 11. Let's read again from verse 18, just a few verses together. Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 18. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's help as we come to consider his word this evening. Lord, we give thanks that we may approach thy throne once more, especially now as we come to consider your word and would seek your help in understanding and believing all that thou hast written, all that thou hast done. We pray for help in this, thy Holy Spirit's presence with us, that we might have our souls taken hold of, as it were, and that the things which we consider might be prophesied unto us by the great prophet of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. We have before us this evening a, a very interesting and a striking encounter between Christ and Martha on the occasion of Martha's brother, Lazarus, his death. All of Christ's encounters are, of course, interesting, but this one, I think, is especially striking. It contains within it an I am of Christ. And every time the Lord Jesus says the words, I am something, very important will follow. Why? Because who Christ is, is of the utmost importance. It is paramount. It is central. Uh, Upon an individual's belief concerning Christ and who he is, rests and hinges all the matters of life and death and eternity. And so this evening I want to consider this one. Another reason why this event and Christ's words are so important is because of what would follow. You may have noticed when we read earlier that in verse 53 that the chief priests and the Pharisees following this event called the council together and in verse 53 it says from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. It was the occasion of this great sign, this wonder that the Lord Jesus performed that brought about that moment where the Pharisees and chief priests decided that they must have him put to death. And in that purpose, they were successful. And so it is this miracle then that Jesus did which prompted those evil and jealous men to seek the death of Jesus. In some ways, it could be considered ironic that for the miracle of raising a man from the dead, they sought to put Christ to death. Such was the weight and influence of this work of Christ that it could not be gainsaid 
And remember that the Bible does not use the word miracle, but uses the word signs and wonders. And such was the impact of this sign that the chief priests and Pharisees felt that the only option was, that was left to them to resort to was to put Christ to death. They couldn't reasonably argue those uh, who believed in him out of their belief, for they had seen such mighty works and wonders. There are two major themes then in this chapter and in this specific event. They are quite simply life and death. The scene is set with sadness and mourning at the passing of Lazarus. The family of Lazarus seems to have been an important one, possibly a wealthy one, for Lazarus' death prompted many of the Jews to come from Jerusalem. Verse 18 indicates that Bethany is very close to Jerusalem. The distance is about two miles. And so they came and they comforted them and mourned with them. And the scene then is very much one of mourning, of sadness, of a sense of loss. Death is a terrible thing. Death separates. Death brings tears. And anyone who's experienced death in, in that sense or, or of a loved one passing away will know what that feeling is. There is regret. There is longing. There is a sense of loss that is difficult to define. It feels unnatural death in many ways. But yet it is natural for fallen men and women. And so into this scene and into this context comes the Lord Jesus Christ and a wonderful scene unfolds. Both the conversation with Martha and then the mighty wonder that was wrought afterwards by Christ. Here then is a decisive moment in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And let's consider then this evening our subject, dominating death, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we consider this chapter then, I, I want to break into it at the point at which the Lord Jesus arrives at Bethany. And that was where we just read from most latterly. And the conversation that he has with Martha, the sister of Lazarus. But with reference as well to the beginning of the chapter also. So I want to notice two things. The first thing that we want to notice this evening is Martha's misunderstanding. Martha's misunderstanding. We find that Martha is understandably full of regret and loss. Her first words recorded here are a wistful longing that events had not fallen out the way that they had. She says, Lord, if, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And it's Martha who comes quickly to Jesus. Mary, it seems, perhaps was too deep in mourning and possibly busy entertaining guests. And so she remains in the house, but Martha comes to him outside of Bethany, hearing that he was approaching. And these are the first words that Martha speaks to Jesus. And that indicates, I think, that this thought had been passing through her mind and her sister's mind. As we find Mary says the very same words when she meets with Christ. Over and over again through the past four days since Lazarus had died, if only Jesus had been here. Indeed, it seems very likely to be the case. Well, you read in verse 3 that they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and they no doubt expected him to come immediately to them to heal Lazarus. And they thought that he would come. They thought that he would come and he would lay his hands upon him as he had on others who were sick and he would be restored to full health. But he had not come. What a longing they must have had then. If only. It's healed so many sick and dying people and yet Lazarus had to die. He 
whom, thou, whom, whom, whom thy soul lovest is sick. Him whom thou lovest is sick. But the Lord Jesus had not come. Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And these words aren't spoken in an accusatory way or in a reproachful way to the Lord Jesus, but rather with a sense of longing. If. That fact is evident from the very next verse. Verse 22, for she goes on to say and continues, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou ask of God, God will give it thee. She's quick to voice her faith that Jesus can still help, that the situation is not necessarily beyond hope, though she is full of mourning and of, of loss and, and of this wistful feeling of if only Christ had been here, yet still, even now, she says, even now, she's convinced She's convicted that Jesus may still recover the situation. In spite of the fact that her brother was dead for four days and laid in the grave, she still thought and believed that Christ could do something. At this point, though, we must note Martha's misunderstanding specifically here. Martha knew much. She believed in Christ, believed that he had power, believed that he spoke truth. And yet still, her knowledge and her faith fell short of what was the full reality. She says, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. This is what her, her knowledge extends to. This is as high as her thoughts of Christ rise. Martha expects the Lord Jesus to ask something of God. She uses the word translated here as whatsoever. Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God. God will give it thee. That word whatsoever is a word which indicates a wide scope of possibilities, but not anything specific. It's a general hopeful statement Martha is making. I know even now, even now, whatever you ask of God, he will give it you. Now, there is one important detail here, though, that we should note. And it is not something that is evident in the English. It is the word ask. Whatever Thou wilt ask of God. The word ask in the Greek is the word aetio. And that word has an underlying idea of submissiveness. It's a, a, a word constantly used throughout scripture to express asking something by an inferior to a superior. It's used of the lame man at the beautiful gate in Acts who asked for alms. It's used of those of Tyre and Sidon in Acts again, who came and asked Herod for peace, sued for peace, they say it is translated there. The Lord Jesus uses it when he says of a son asking of his father for a fish. It's subtle then, but the idea of the word promotes this pleading rather than speaking on level terms. Martha's words then show to us that she does not fully understand who the Lord Jesus Christ really is. Her assumption is that the Lord Jesus Christ works miracles by requesting them from God in prayer. In contrast, whenever the Lord Jesus speaks of praying to God, and he does so a lot, John 17, the high priestly prayer, the word Jesus used there when he says, I pray or I ask, is a different word called it's ereteo, which is used of equals. It's used of those who are familiar with one another. It carries a sense of authority then into the request. It's used of kings seeking to ally themselves with one another. 
Here then is Martha's misunderstanding. Though believing that Jesus is the Son of God, as she goes on to say, and believing that he was the Christ, the anointed one who was to come, seeing him in his humanity and in his humility, and seeing him praying, still thinks of him as inferior to God, as if he were an unworthy supplicant like her, but being a great prophet come from God, he had great faith, and therefore God uh, let him work miracles just as the prophets of old had done, such as Elijah and Elisha and others. That is Martha's understanding, and it's a misunderstanding, a misapprehension of who Christ is. And so the Lord Jesus Christ must take her by the hand and show her what wonderful truth she was missing. The form of the words, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, is matched by the reply of Jesus. Literally, Lord, if, thou, if, if being here thou hadst not have died, would my brother. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, rise again, shall your brother. Here the Lord Jesus takes her by the hand and says, your brother will rise again. There is nothing to worry about. You're missing the truth. The Lord Jesus says, thy brother shall rise again. Her reply is, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And here again Martha shows a lack of understanding. One that I think we all share, if we are Christians this evening, and that we find little comfort in what Christ says to Martha here. We find as little comfort in what Christ says to Martha here as Martha herself found in it. There's almost a, an air of resignation when Martha replies here. I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection at the last day, but that's not really what she was talking about. She wants something to be done now. She doesn't find comfort in it. What she says is true. I know he'll rise again. I believe that he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. She's talking about now, though. She's saying to Christ, if you pray to God now, whatsoever you ask of him, he'll do it. And yes, I, I know he will rise again one day, but what about now? Martha here, and this is an interesting thing, considers that Jesus bringing her brother back to life now, after four days in the grave, was a far, far greater thing than the resurrection of the body on the last day into eternal life. And to bring him back from the dead now, from the grave now, was more difficult, was a greater thing to her than on the last day when the Lord would return in glory to raise all the souls of his people from death unto life unto a glorious body. But the reverse is true. Martha's temporal life, and here again, this is something we can relate to, Martha's temporal life, the joy she had living with her brother and her sister was more precious to her when compared to the eternal life which will reach its climax on the day of resurrection. So she misunderstands who Christ is, firstly. And then secondly, she misunderstands the magnitude of that momentous event at the last day when all souls will be resurrected, as if it can be dismissed. I, I know that the resurrection day is coming. And she dismisses it. That day when, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, 
The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. And the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That is dismissed because she wants her brother back now. She prioritizes the here and now, the temporal, over the eternal. So in two ways then, there is a misunderstanding here. And so secondly then, we must also consider not only Martha's misunderstanding, but Christ's correction. And Christ's answer to Martha here, these are some of the most powerful words in Scripture. Martha considers the resurrection to be an event far into the future, which she cannot really connect with her present reality. Here she is in mourning over her brother being dead. and She has to live the rest of her life, however long that would be without him, with this sense of loss, this sense of longing that she would see his face once more. And she cannot really think and understand and see and have a vision of that day when he'll rise from the dead upon the day of resurrection. So she says, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I believe that. And Christ's reply is awesome in its profundity. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Yes, you believe he will rise again at the last day. Do you believe and understand that I am the resurrection and the life. Christ states here that he himself is the very personification of resurrection and life. And in so doing, he corrects Martha's understanding. It is not that Christ goes to God and prays that miracles might be done. The Lord Jesus himself possesses that very power. He is the Lord of all being and all existence proceeds from him as God. John 1 verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. He has power over death. The Lord Jesus dominates death. It is a slave to him. Life is his to wield. In John 10 and verse 18, we read of his own life. He says, no man taketh it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Death cannot hold him. Death cannot dominate him. And death cannot stand as any kind of obstacle to him and his will. I am the resurrection and the life. And the Lord Jesus goes on to explain how he is both resurrection and life. Firstly, he says, he that believeth in me, though he were dead. That is to say, even if he dies, yet shall he live. He is the annulment of death. He is the resurrection. Christ is the antidote to death. He is the resurrection. The Lord then continues to say, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Here is life, the result of resurrection. Not only are the dead raised to newness of life, but that life is then sustained by the permanence of Christ. He is life. And therefore any who are resurrected and believe in him and who are linked to him because they are in him cannot die, shall never die. Christ personified both resurrection and life. Those things are all bound up in his magnificent person. 
The Lord Jesus is saying here is so profound and such a gargantuan truth that it is literally soul-saving. Martha, Martha's vision of Christ was so narrow, it was so limited. And so the Lord Jesus brings her with him so that she should reach the correct conclusion. Your brother will rise again, Martha, he says. And she professes her belief that this is true, but she does not really see it, the glory of it. The truth was so much greater than she understood. The Lord Jesus had always intended to raise Lazarus from the grave. He said in verse 4 that this sickness was not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so the Lord Jesus Christ had come to show the glory of God. In order to really see the glory of it, we must go then with Martha and Mary and the Lord to the tomb, with those other mourners as if we were there in the crowd and look on. Lord Jesus Christ says, where have you laid him? And they bring him to the grave, followed by the weeping mourners and the crying of the two sisters over their brother who had died. We read those two words of verse 35, Jesus wept. And the word for wept there indicates a, a silent weeping. Tears fall from his eyes. Lord Jesus does not weep without intention. These are tears are tears of sympathy, I believe. The sadness of the parting of death and the sorrow that it brought for those who were dear to him. The Jews said, behold, how he loved him, which was certainly true. And then he calls for the stone to be removed. Martha shows that she does not still fully understand. She worries about the dignity of the dead. This, by this time he stinketh. He be in the grave four days. And here's then another key verse. For Jesus says, said not I unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And here we come to this mighty sign. What was it a sign of? The Lord Jesus Christ says it. It is a sign of the glory of God that they are about to witness. It was a sign that they may believe that he was sent from the Father, as he says in prayer moments later. It is a sign that Christ had come to destroy death. They come to dominate death, to completely end it, and all of the sadness and woe that went with it. And death would be no more, and Christ would shortly go into death himself. He'd go into death willingly, laying down his life, that by death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, Diabolus, the slanderer, the adversary, the devil. And so signifying all this that he has power over death, he cries with a loud voice, as he will cry at the final day, Lazarus, come forth. What power is demonstrated here? He that was dead came forth. What great work the Lord Jesus does here. And it is echoed every time a soul is saved. We are dead in trespasses and sins. But he may speak with a voice that wakes the dead and call dead souls to life. Prophesy as Ezekiel to dry bones that they might have life breathed into them once more. Truly then Christ is indeed the resurrection and the life. He personifies those things. And he lives now and he abides within the heart of his people. He resides now at the right hand of God and he will one day come and crush and utterly defeat he that had the power of death and death itself. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
ultimately death will die. Death is swallowed up in victory. In closing, let's consider some questions which I hope will help to apply these truths. I think even the consideration of of the very words of Scripture tonight are already heart-strengthening to the Christian, and I hope your heart is thrilled in considering the unparalleled and peerless might and supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, I have three questions that we must consider as we close. First of all, are your priorities straight in your understanding of time and eternity? I highlighted Martha's response earlier on to Christ when he says in verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again, and her response in what seems to be a resigned way, I know that he shall rise again on the last day. Martha finds a little comfort, it seems, in the fact that Lazarus will one day rise from the grave in the day of resurrection. Her thoughts are not for that time. They are for the here and the now, for the present, for the life that she was now living, and how wistfully she thought about her temporal life and the joy of living it with her loved ones, present with her. And indeed, it is, a very, diff- it is very difficult for us to, to turn our eyes away from the physical, to turn our, our way, our eyes from the here and now, and consider eternity. We want immediate fulfillment and gratification. Like passion and patience in the pilgrim's progress, passion wants his good things now. We do not want to wait, as patience did, for the greater and eternal good things to come. And so this evening, consider this question. Are your priorities straight in your understanding of time and eternity? The lost in this world are taken up completely with the here and now and cannot see or refuse to see any importance for that age which is to come. They want gratification now. They want their good things now. They want their comfort and their family and their luxury and they want their loved ones and they want all the the things that they consider good. They want them now. For there is no time to come, according to them. There is no thought for eternity. Are your thoughts in a similar vein? Thinking about time, but not considering eternity. Time is precious, but answer me, what is time given to you for? Time is given as a mercy and the grace of God to prepare for eternity. And if this is so, and the whole time you are spending killing time time is in fact killing you what are you using your time for this evening is it taken up with pursuing pleasure using it to seek your own fulfillment in this life as if that was all there was perhaps you'll be successful but life must end and then there is eternity is what you are spending your time doing actually condemning you for all of eternity consider that this evening very carefully and also, we who know and love the Lord Jesus must have hearts and minds that continually dwell upon eternity. Perhaps you are too earthly minded tonight. It's true that we are sometimes, we consider, like Martha, the resurrection of a loved one now to be a greater work than that glorious day when the Lord Jesus Christ will rend the heavens and the, with the voice of the archangel, and he'll come with all his saints and they will rise from the grave, joining him in his triumph. We don't give thought to that, perhaps. 
take time regularly to consider what our occupation will be when eternity dawns upon our souls, when our bodies are raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, for we shall be like him and his glorious body, for we shall see him as he is. What an empty view and understanding we have of that glorious day of eternity that we are destined for. Consider how empty it is and May that emptiness be filled with our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the resurrection and the life. There is no comparison between time and now and eternity. The sands of time are sinking, but the dawn of heaven breaks. Ensure this evening, then, that your priorities are straight. Secondly, answer this. Do you understand who Christ is? The Lord Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And this question comes to you this evening. Believest thou this? Do you believe? Perhaps you understand it. Perhaps to you it is reasonable. It rings true. But to believe it is the most important thing, to embrace it, to trust it, to receive it, to hold it, and enjoy the reality and the power of this truth, that he who is in Christ, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that liveth and believeth in him shall never die. Believest thou this? Jesus Christ is the personification of the resurrection and the life. That those things and all eternal and future comforts of joy, of peace, of hope, they are all bound up in his glorious person. And the Lord offers his person freely in the gospel to all who will receive him. That in him all the enjoyment, comfort, peace and hope is most assuredly yours in him. He is no mere prophet or godly man. He is the son of God in whose power is life itself. That we are in him, death indeed is swallowed up in victory. Death entered the world by Adam and his sin. Death is removed from the world ultimately by Christ's obedience and sacrifice, laying down his life willingly, destroying the power of death, rendering death impotent, and then taking up his life again afterwards with his own power. This is what he has done. And by his power, all those who believe in him, though they will die, yet shall they live. And whosoever lives by this life and believes in him shall never die. Believest thou this? And you answer with Martha and show that you have some measure of understanding and faith. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. I believe you are the anointed one, the chosen one, who has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Consider carefully this evening. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And then lastly, have you fully understood that those who reject Christ reject life and embrace death? Since Christ is the resurrection and the life, all those who reject him and chase after this world reject life and embrace death. Christ said that he had come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. If through him there is life, And without him there is only death. The work and grace of God is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death 
and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So all those who reject that gospel, reject life, reject immortality, reject that light, they embrace death and darkness and eternal separation from the source of all life. In rejection of the one, you embrace the other. Whatever you embrace, that will be yours for all eternity. Embrace the life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This evening, be very careful about how you respond to this truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ this evening, then glory in it. Revel in it. That Christ is yours, and he is all. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Be sure this evening to embrace Christ and fall at his feet in repentance and worship. For none that come to him shall ever be cast out. Amen. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer. Lord, we give thanks for thy mercy and grace to us in giving us your word for its impact and truth. We pray, O Lord, that it would rest and remain with us. For any who are outside of Christ who have gone astray from him, you have mercy and draw them to yourself with cords of love. Lord, that they might embrace he who is the resurrection and the life, and that death can have no power over all those who are in him. Bless us, we ask, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.